This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic to the camp to the cringe through the lens of disability. My name is Nicole and I am thrilled to have you here. So what is on the examination table for today? Well, I was a little bit inspired since this is a new year and, you know, lots of people go and will do a top five or a top ten list of their favorite films of the previous year. Well, I thought I would kind of take a similar approach and dedicate the first episode of 2022 to my favorite film of 2021. Although I think technically it's a 2020 release because it did uh, some rounds with festivals and you know how that goes. But the film that I wanted to talk about today is My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. I absolutely love, love, love this film, and it just recently dropped on Shudder. So I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to talk a little bit about it because it also is relevant to what we do here, talking about disability, but also kind of plays in to a previous episode where we talked a little bit about Dracula and vampirism. So, all of that to say, uh, let's just dive right in and talk about My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. You know, I was thinking maybe we could all go out sometime. Where would we go? Anywhere. There's no one out at this time. Not here. Not anywhere. No, that's not true. Listen, that's not happening. Do you have any idea what we do to get that blood? I thought you said this was a shelter. It is. Looks like a house. I don't think that I can keep doing this. He's our brother. He's sick. We shouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. We can't do it without you. It has to be the three of us together. Would you get me some blood? You really should try smiling. Do you ever think about going somewhere else? Tomorrow you go out again. Would you like to play a game? Wait! I don't want to be sick. Before we talk about the film, let's break down that plot. 
A woman, Jessie, and her brother, Dwight, care for their chronically ill sibling, Thomas, who is unable to venture outdoors during the day and must regularly drink blood to survive. Dwight and Jessie provide blood for Thomas by routinely murdering strangers, mainly those experiencing homelessness and drifters. Jessie works as a waitress in a local diner, while Dwight spends his days pawning items he finds around town and visiting a sex worker who he pays extra for a few minutes of conversation after their liaisons. After a particularly grisly murder, Dwight begs Jessie to get real medical help for Thomas. She refuses and instead orders Dwight to procure a new victim. He lures a Spanish-speaking migrant named Eduardo into his car, but Eduardo escapes and wounds Dwight with a screwdriver when Dwight attempts to strangle him. Dwight subdues Eduardo after a fight in the forest, but the latter's desperate pleas for mercy convince Dwight to spare him. He then restrains Eduardo in a shed in his backyard. Jesse hunts and kills the sex worker that Dwight had befriended, leaving him pretty distraught. That night, Thomas complains of loneliness at the dinner table and implores Jesse to let him socialize with the local children he hears outside his window. When she refuses, he overturns his bowl of blood, infuriating his sister. In an attempt to make contact with the outside world, Thomas writes a note on a paper airplane and opens the front door to hurl it at a group of passing teenagers. Dwight appears behind him and quickly covers him with a blanket, but not before Thomas sustains severe burns on his arm. That night, Eduardo escapes the shed and attempts to kill Dwight, but he fights back and kills Eduardo in front of Thomas. Later, one of the teenage boys who found Thomas's note comes to the house while Jesse is away looking for a fresh body. Thomas invites him in and tries to connect with the boy by offering him uh, some blood to drink and playing a game that involves guessing the release here of songs that Thomas plays on the piano. When Dwight enters the kitchen and discovers the boy, Dwight threatens him but is unable to kill him. Hearing Jesse return with a new victim, Dwight shoves the boy in the closet and orders him to be quiet. When Jesse finds him within the closet, the boy stabs her with a kitchen knife and flees. Although bleeding heavily, Jesse orders Dwight to pursue and kill the boy. Dwight finds the boy but spares him. He returns home to find Jesse dead in the bathtub and Thomas consuming her blood. Dwight forces Thomas out of the bathroom and locks him in a room with the dead man Jesse had brought back earlier. Dwight then buries Jesse in an outdoor grave. In the morning, Dwight packs his things and tells Thomas he is leaving and never coming back. Soon, he has a change of heart after seeing a happy family at the diner. Back at home, Thomas apologizes for his role in, in Jesse's death and the two brothers embrace and cry together. Thomas then asks Dwight to remove the cardboard covering from the window. Dwight does so, and Thomas is killed. Alone, Dwight drives across the country and finally arrives at a beach where he stands on the rocks above the water and smiles. Now, one of the things that I absolutely love about this film, and I think one of the things that makes it really uh, connect to not only disability, but kind of what we've chatted about with the uh, Universal Monsters episode and talking about Dracula is its approach to vampirism 
as an illness. And so I really want to focus in on kind of two different elements of the film to kind of piece apart. And the first part, I want to talk about the siblings, but more specifically, not just a sibling relationship, but aspects of caregiving. I really want to delve into what caregiving looks like for them and how that relates uh, to disability and uh, even things like hospice and uh, older uh, individuals. And then I also want to, of course, talk about Thomas, our uh, sickly young brother with vampirism. Talk a little bit about the portrayal of this character and why it's kind of an intriguing look and subversion in some ways of what we, I think, instantly think of when we think about vampires and, and the like. So uh, let's go ahead and start with just talking a little bit about Thomas, because uh, I think that will kind of help us as we get into uh, piecing apart the dynamics with the siblings as well. So Thomas is our younger sibling. It's defined as our younger sibling, although one of the things that this film does that is both brilliant but a little bit frustrating when trying to, you know, come up with these uh, ideas to really latch onto, it doesn't go into a lot of exposition or background. We don't learn, um, you know, what happened to their parents. We never see their parents. We don't get into how long Thomas has been ill. We don't get into how old they are. Uh, it's important to know that the actor who played Thomas uh, was well in his 20s in this role, but is kind of uh, a dancing uh, a line of... Uh, playing very young, but not playing that much younger than his siblings. It's a really unique type of thing here. And it's kind of a cool way to approach it because I think it helps us enter into the film with a bit of a blank slate, something that we can latch our uh, experiences onto very easily as we see the story unroll. So, Thomas... We see Thomas from the go as incredibly sickly. Once Thomas gets a little bit of fresh blood in his system, courtesy of his brother Dwight, he starts to come around a little bit. But again, one thing that's really interesting is that Thomas always seems sick and unwell. There isn't a sense of intimidation or power or seduction some of those things that we often associate with a vampire character. He's frail, and it's a really interesting uh, kind of perspective to have on this character. So, now, as I mentioned at top, we don't get background or exposition around, you know, these characters and, you know, wh how long they have been in this particular situation of Thomas being sick and needing to sustain off of blood and all of that. We don't get background with the parents. We never learn where they are, if they're still alive, which I assume that they're not, um, how long they've been gone, any of that. We don't get any background. 
And that really does paint particularly Thomas in a unique light. Because again, we're dealing with a vampire story. And so I think it's uh, only fitting and makes sense that we would kind of keep some of those classic uh, bits of lore embedded in our mind as we look at this character. He is both rooted in reality of sick kid, but there's something kind of ethereal and almost supernatural about him. He's obviously incredibly pale. He, you know, walks in a very kind of uh, specific way, um, almost like someone who is very uncomfortable and in pain or someone that's just not used to walking all that much. Which, if you think about it, kind of makes sense because he doesn't leave the house. He can't leave the house during the day, obviously. He doesn't go out during night. So he is just kind of laying around. And I think that's another aspect of the character that I find really, really interesting. Again, we have the vampire of our story, but our vampire isn't the one that is violent. He's not the one that is uh, going out and finding his own food. We never see him participate in the preparing of the food. That's all left to Dwight and Jesse. I mentioned this because it's a slight juxtaposition of what we've seen with some of these characters with disability. The character isn't portrayed as being kind of a violent aggressor. The character isn't portrayed as having to find some uh, kind of superhuman ability or strength to overcome the illness. That's not what's on the table here. And it just makes it a really interesting kind of look at how this character is dealing with their own situation. We don't know how much Thomas knows about how the blood is achieved. Based off of what we see play out, we make the assumption not much that uh, Dwight and Jesse have kind of kept that process from him. He's not involved in any kind of way. He's not present in any kind of way during kind of the acquisition of the blood and the preparation. So when he sees someone get killed, it's not outside the realm of possibility that it's kind of the first time that he's understanding the violence that has gone in to keeping him sustained. But that does go into an idea that we've talked a little bit about in um, other episodes, and that is the disabled character being a burden. The disabled character being presented as the heavy weight of those around them. And that is certainly the story here. There's a childlike quality to Thomas. And we see this play out in a few 
moment in particular. Uh, the first scene is where they're having dinner and Thomas wants to go outside. He wants to engage with the kids that he hears outside his window during the day. And, of course, Jesse says no, absolutely not. And almost like a, a toddler being reprimanded, he flips over his bowl, but not in an aggressive or a kind of grandiose way. He just kind of topples it onto uh, the ground and it takes Jesse a minute to kind of react and just become really livid about the fact that he's acted out and that he's wasted blood. All the while, Dwight is just kind of looking on and not really um, kind of intervening. Um, although he does try to kind of calm down Jesse. It's a key moment because I think it expresses the sadness that I think a lot of folks, particularly those of us that have grown up with disabilities and, you know, being a kid and being sick, not being able to go out and play with friends or being limited in those activities and the isolation and sadness and loneliness that that can incite. Um, I, I think that Thomas really portrays that brilliantly. His solution to this is to write a message on a paper airplane. At the very beginning of the film, uh, Dwight is uh, making a paper airplane for him. And so he risks getting himself burned and writes a message on a paper airplane and sends it out his window, which then is uh, seen by one of the kids and they come to the door. And we get a very short scene with Thomas trying to engage with a new friend and because he's been so isolated and alone and not socialized in that way, it's a really awkward scene. It's almost like a painful first date scene. Um, they have a Christmas tree up because they celebrate Christmas uh, once a month. And, you know, they uh, the friend comments on how it's a little bit weird, but just kind of keeps it moving. And there's kind of this jubilance, this childlike jubilance in Thomas as he's kind of showing him around and talking to him about his life because he has a friend. And then we get to the kitchen and he offers his friend blood. His friend drinks it and doesn't even comment on it. Now, of course, uh, it's then intervened when Dwight comes into the kitchen and the scene kind of takes a turn from there. But, you know, uh, Thomas hands him a cup of blood. It's in a cup that he couldn't, I, it's not like a clear glass, so he doesn't see it, you know, for the color of what it is or anything like that. But, you know, you would think that if you drink blood, you would kind of be able to, to suss it out, but he doesn't say anything. And it's 
just kind of this uh, really charming but sad and tragic moment of seeing this character so desperately want to connect with someone outside of his siblings that he's with day in and day out. And the friend seems to kind of go along for the ride, you know, uh, listens to him play piano and plays the game of what year is it? And it's just, I, I, it really took me back to being a kid and, you know, after being in the hospital for, you know, a month for different treatments or a surgery, uh, having to go back to school and not knowing how to talk to people and figuring out, like, I've missed so much and now what do I do? What, how, how do I, how do I fit in here? And the more that you become separate from that world, the harder it is to kind of ease back in or find a way in at all. The other moment that I want to talk about with Thomas is um, the going back to the idea of the character as the character with a disability as a burden. When we get to the end of the film, when I think Thomas has now the knowledge of what it's taken for his siblings to keep him alive and the impact that that's had on them and kind of the resulting situation of now Jesse being dead and just it all, I think, becoming slightly more clear to Thomas. He sacrifices himself. He realizes that Dwight alone isn't going to be able to take care of him. And given what's happened, now going and seeking out that medical attention that Dwight had kind of advocated for at the beginning isn't really an option. So Thomas tells Dwight to let him burn and that will set Dwight free. I both found this beautiful and a little frustrating because it again kind of goes back to the idea of individuals as a disability, individuals with a disability rather, as being a burden and being something that costs those in our lives, particularly those that help care for us so much. We haven't seen Thomas commit an act of violence. He hasn't killed anyone with his own hands. And again, we don't know how much he knew about what was going into uh, kind of acquiring the blood. And yet, he is the one that, because at the end, it's framed between basically him or Dwight. His life comes at such a cost that it simply isn't worth uh, sustaining. That he must die in order for his non-disabled brother to live because it's just too much for uh, 
Dwight to continue to care for him and care for him alone. So it's an interesting kind of take on that because typically when we have a character like Thomas, they have been responsible for uh, an act of violence or death. They've acquired their own food, if you will, and that's not the case here. And so it kind of makes this moment when Thomas kind of resigns to die and dies more tragic and I think connects more to a theme that the director wanted to hit on. In reading some interviews with him and listening to some interviews with the director and writer, he talked about how he really used his family's experience of having a loved one in hospice to inform some of kind of the thematic elements of this film and you can definitely sense that here you know the the kind of end of life uh scenario so i don't know it was a really kind of conflicting ending for me it's very beautiful um and tragic but also just you know why why couldn't have there been a solution that thomas could have lived why couldn't they have found a way to go and find that medical care to see if there could have been a cure for him um more exploration around other ways to uh to kind of treat the illness because that was another kind of aspect and we'll talk a little bit about this when we really delve into uh Dwight and Jesse as siblings and caregivers but you know Dwight uh, wanted to kind of explore different options and get that medical care. And, you know, I, I think it's something that he would have been 100% uh, willing to go down that path. But because of what had kind of transpired, I just don't think uh, he found that a feasible option anymore. So I don't know. It's a really kind of complicated uh kind of portrayal that I find really engaging and really makes the film, I think, a unique kind of entry into kind of a vampire subgenre. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the siblings and aspects of caregiving that this film kind of uses as, I think, a bulk of its kind of framework. So Jesse and Dwight are... Thomas's older brother and sister, again, we don't get any background or context of what their relationship is kind of like outside of this particular moment in time. We don't get a sense of age or anything like that. Jesse is, I would say, the stricter, more kind of authoritarian and straightforward of the pair. She works outside the home at the diner. Jesse also seems a bit more resigned to the situation of caring for Thomas. She feels that their process is in place. It's working and should not be messed with, which I think plays into part of the aversion of going and finding medical care. For Thomas also, you know, she's probably thinking about the logistics and, you know, what happens if 
you know, anything can come back to us of what we've had to do so far. So she's really kind of the logistics and the practical person. Um, at least that's kind of how she's framed in the film. She's, I think, both very kind and sweet to Thomas, but also the disciplinarian. She's the one that lays down the rules for him, where Dwight is a bit more of a pushover, I guess you could say. He has more moments where he's really connecting on an emotional level with Thomas and building that connection where you don't really see that with Jesse. It's more about ritual with her and kind of just getting through the day to day. I think that her role as kind of the logistics person is also underscored when she dies because you see the tailspin particularly with Dwight, this sudden uh, kind of dawning that he's not going to be able to do what they do without her. She's really integral to kind of keeping the operation going. And they obviously have a close bond, and her death is so kind of quick um, and shocking in some ways that it just is a really kind of tragic moment where both brothers are able to have these moments with her as she's dying. Another aspect about Jessie that I find really compelling is that we don't really see her form any connections with anyone outside of the family unit. Dwight has the sex worker that he visits and per the description uh, he pays her extra money so that they can talk at the end and have a meaningful kind of conversation because he really wants to have that personal connect outside of the home he has this idea of them running off together he sees them away from this town. Um, he has pictures of beaches on his uh, bedside table. So he sees a different life for him where Jessie doesn't. Her family is her life. And so let's talk a little bit about Dwight and... I would say that the focus of the film is really on him and his journey, both his willingness and aversion to going and finding people to kill to keep Thomas alive. The impacts of caregiving present themselves with Dwight in unique ways that we don't see with Jesse. Again, because this is related to kind of him seeing a life for himself outside of the home and outside of his role as caregiver. He forms this relationship with a sex worker and has this idea of leaving together and having this life, but the logistics he knows are too complicated to really hash out a plan. And we see this kind of come to fruition in a different way 
at the end when he comes back after, you know, initially just deserting Thomas, but realizing that he simply isn't capable of that either. Just running away from the responsibility of being a caregiver isn't something he's able to do. It impacts his ability to then form that relationship and take things to a different level. He looks for that companionship in ways that aren't necessarily sustainable. The heartbreak that Dwight experiences when Jesse brings in Pam's body. Understanding now that the fantasy that he had kind of had in his mind of that relationship is no more. And this is reality. This isn't something that Jessie deals with because she doesn't form those connections. She doesn't allow herself, at least in how we see her, uh, she doesn't allow herself to go down those paths. And it's really devastating. And you see this with Eduardo as well. Dwight is trying to find friendship, companionship, someone that he can build a rapport with outside of the home. And it always comes out tragic for him. And I think that's what ties into kind of the really somber and sad ending. The personalities of both Dwight and Jesse and how they're kind of complementary but at odds, I think perfectly illustrates what the director was wanting to highlight with that personal experience with family and hospice. When you have many different family members, I think uh, he stated that his father had nine siblings that were all part of this care team, essentially. And nine people are nine different personalities. And you're dealing with people that are bringing different strengths and different challenges to the table. And I think that this is something that, despite it just being a trio and and not a large family, I think it's perfectly illustrated here. And you see that just, you know, especially with that dinner scene, when you see them kind of all shining in what those strengths are. You have Jesse that's very practical. You have Dwight that's very reserved, but is obviously connecting very emotionally with what Thomas wants. He understands that Thomas wants to interact and be around people and because that's what he wants as well. And you have Thomas wanting to advocate for himself, but, you know, feeling that he's kind of up against a wall with Jesse. So I love that the way that this dynamic plays out really highlights what the director was really going for. And having been in a caregiving situation, um, I took care of my grandfather when he had bone cancer, um, moved in with him, but, you know, was also sharing some caregiving duties with uh, my mom and my sister and my uncle who lived out of state. And so we all had different things that we uh, were kind of hashing out and using our strengths to make sure that the care that my grandpa needed was the care that he was getting. And it was sometimes really complicated and there were battles of, you know, no, this is what grandpa wants. This is what we need to do. Well, this is what I think is best. Well, 
let's hash it out. Let's talk it through. How do we come to a solution that's going to be the most beneficial? And we don't necessarily see that play out here. We see bits of it. We see Dwight saying, hey, let's think about some other options. We see Jesse approach it by just sticking to the script, by doing things by the numbers because it's what's worked. It's what's kept her family intact. And so it's just a really, I think, great way to put that story together and make it really powerful. Kind of the last thing I want to hit on in terms of caregiving, and it ties in with what I talked a little bit about with Thomas and kind of this character being presented as with a lot of disabled characters, particularly disabled characters kind of in a similar vein of uh, Thomas is simply being a burden, being uh, a huge burden, a huge deficit in the quality of life for those around them. Jesse literally loses her life because uh, Thomas wanted to have a friend and Thomas drinks her blood in the tub, literally taking in her life where she gave herself for him in that moment. You have Dwight who has been pained with what he has had to do. This isn't to say that Jesse doesn't experience those same emotions and feelings. It's just not the face that she puts on it. She seems to have a very kind of stiff upper lip approach. The, uh, you know, yes, things are hard, but I just have to power through and not let people know kind of the inner struggle of it all. And that's something that a lot of caregivers experience. I would say almost all family caregivers experience at one point or another um, because that's just kind of a part of the role. It is difficult. It is challenging. And there's no way to kind of get around it. So I love that the way that the story is constructed really does kind of hyper-focus on those elements of caregiving and show just kind of the complexities of the situation. And going back to kind of the hospice idea, which I realized that I've mentioned that a couple of times both in kind of talking about the story and relating it back to kind of what the director was plugging in from the personal experience that they had, but I realized that I hadn't explained it and there may be some people listening to this and don't know what hospice care is, but hospice care is uh, usually described as kind of comfort and symptom management care for individuals that are kind of at uh, a kind of end phase of a terminal illness and usually coincides with them ending kind of ongoing active treatment for a disease. So when my grandfather transitioned into hospice care, it was after he had completed uh, radiation and chemo that had not been effective. And so it was really about, you know, managing symptoms, making sure that he was super comfortable and doing everything to kind of keep him, keep him kind of, uh, you know, living the best quality of life as possible. 
And obviously, how that plays out is going to be really uh, situational uh, based. But, you know, the very end of the film where Thomas dies, I think, does kind of speak to that part of hospice when the person that you're caring for does pass away and the acceptance that this is going to happen. That was something that was really, 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 really hard. My grandfather's illness was kind of sudden. He had hidden the diagnosis from us for a while because my grandmother had just passed away from COPD and he had wanted all of our focus to be on her and helping her as she succumbed to the illness. And so it kind of all happened incredibly quickly and, you know, going with him to medical appointments and hearing the doctor say, you know, it's, you know, these treatments aren't effective and the cancer is spreading and there's really not much we can do. It was heartbreaking. Um, and as much as I could kind of get through the day to day of, you know, making sure that grandpa was taking his medicine, uh, for his pain and, preparing foods that he needed to kind of sustain and, you know, just kind of being there for him. There was always that ping in the back of my mind that I didn't know if, you know, this was going to be the last pill I gave him or if this was going to be the last movie we watched together because I knew that it was kind of at the end and I think there's a, a sense of that with Dwight in particular. Jesse in clinging to the rituals of uh, kind of the care, she's able to divorce herself from that. And Dwight in having this emotional connection to uh, where Thomas is at and wanting to be able to do certain things and just having a different connection with him, I, I think that it's very much in mind at a point where he understands that this is the end and a, a certain level of acceptance of that, knowing that this is what is best for Thomas at that point. It's definitely a different way to look at it, but uh, it's something that, you know, knowing that that was what the director had really wanted to plug in, I think really did help me take an initial take from uh, that ending and re-kind of conceptualize it a bit. So uh, it's, I think I'm going to wrap up the conversation on the film there. There's a lot to unpack with this one. It's a really heavy but quiet and very intimate film mm -hmm. very much I think strikes a similar tone of like a, a kitchen table drama you know where it's a, a kind of a small uh, unit a family unit and you know they're dealing with just kind of the day-to-day -day, uh, strife of life and it's really compelling stuff it's, I love sharing these films with friends and stuff during like movie nights because it's 
really great for conversation because it's so telling of the themes and the ideas and moments that people latch on to. It, it really gives you some insight into, uh, you know, what their experiences are and what's important to them. And it's just a really cool experience. I mean, not that you can get that from watching anything, but uh, I feel like these films in particular serve that purpose extremely well. And I really love the performances in this film. We have Patrick Fugit as Dwight, who uh, I think is probably most known for Almost Famous. I think that was one of his first roles. Um, and then he was also in Wrist Cutters, which is one of my personal favorites. He's been in lots of stuff. I would say that he's really the prominent name. But you also have Owen Campbell, um, who plays Thomas. Now, I knew him from Super Dark Times, which I think is on Shudder. I haven't checked in a minute. I know it was at some point, and I think it still is. It's really good as well. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to spoil anything, but I really thought that he was amazing as Thomas in this movie, and I really like him in Super Dark Times. I really, really, really love this movie, so I can't wait. This is the first feature film by the director Jonathan Quirtus, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. He and his brother had done, I think, a few shorts together. Um, I know they had done one together, but I think all of the shorts that they had kind of collaborated on. And I'm really excited for what he brings to the table next. I think it, just a really, really outstanding uh, feature debut. And I'm definitely on board with whatever is next on his agenda. So with all of that said, thank you so, so much as always for listening. It means the world. And of course, a thank you to Anatomy of a Scream pod squad for giving Bodies of Horror its home. So proud to be part of the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad fam and as always make sure that you are subscribed to the feed i assume if you're here you are but if you haven't you're missing out because new stuff is popping up all the time uh great episodes of uh white ladies in crisis all sorts of goodness and you don't want to miss out so make sure that you are subscribed and because I don't do this often enough, I have to say a huge thank you to Flashback81 for the awesome intro and outro music. And Flashback81 has a new EP out called Heartbreak Mixtape, which I think is available on all your standard platforms of Spotify and Apple Music. So if you like the intro and outro music, be sure to seek that out because I'm pretty much obsessed with it and it's it's a banger. If you want to reach out to me, which is always appreciated, you can do so. I am on Twitter at Bodies of Horror, and you can shoot me an email at bodiesofhorror at gmail.com. I love feedback. I love hearing what you guys are thinking about the episodes. If you guys have suggestions of other films that you think would be kind of cool to cover, I'm always down for those recommendations. So reach out, say hey, I love that. I really loved sharing my thoughts 
on My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode as well. I'm really excited for what is in store for some upcoming episodes of Season 2, so make sure to stay tuned. Until next time. Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.